Okay, Satan demons. How should Christians think of Satan and demons, and what about spiritual warfare? Well, uh, demons, definition, demon, demons are evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Um, the origin of demons. Where, where did they come from? Well, God didn't create evil creatures, but they became evil after he created them. Because in Genesis 1.31, we find that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So at that point, the world was perfect, the universe was perfect, there was no sin in the world, there was no evil, it was all very good. It's impossible that God would have looked at the creation and saw thousands of demons and said, oh, that's very good, because they're not good, they're evil. So they weren't evil at that time. But sometime between that and Genesis 3, where the serpent comes to, to Eve and, and uh, tempts her to eat of the tree of the fruit of the, uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of evil, sometime between those two, uh, those two places in the Bible, there was, um, there was a rebellion and a fall in the angelic world. And some angels sin, not all. But Second uh, Peter 2.4, God did not spare angels when they sinned. So it talks about a specific point in time when angels sin, then uh, that God cast them into hell, etc. And Jude 6 also talks about this. Angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. This hints at the idea that the sin somehow consisted of rebellion against authority. Whose authority? Well, God's authority. And so this is an indication to us, I think, that deep, deep down at the root of much sin, maybe all sin, is rebellion against legitimate authority. Legitimate authority, that's God's authority. And when you think about the climate of our culture in these last decades, there is a very strong element of rebellion against all legitimate authority. In fact, Benetton Clothing Company had these billboards up for a while all they said was, resist authority, Benetton. And I looked at that billboard. I was still, we were in Illinois. I looked at that billboard. I was driving down the road. It said, resist authority, Benetton. I thought, hmm, I wonder where that idea came from. I don't think it came from God. Well, there's a rebellion against authority. That's, I think, that it happened in the angelic realm because they didn't submit to God, didn't want to honor him as God, didn't want to obey him as God. The language in Isaiah 13, the language of ascending to heaven and setting his throne on high, seems to indicate that what happened in the angelic realm was that Satan himself and a number of angels following him wanted to take over God's rule or God's position. They wanted to be equal to God or greater than God. And so Isaiah 14, now people dispute whether this is just a human king getting very proud or whether it really talks about something in the angelic realm. I think it's something in the angelic realm because I think the language is too great for uh, discussing just a human king. But here's what it says. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? Fallen from heaven. That doesn't sound like an earthly king, does it? it sounds like something greater. How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne, my throne. Look at the pride involved in this. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will make myself like the Most High. Looks like Isaiah, under prophetic inspiration, is giving us a picture of what these angels said when they became evil. Hey, I'll be like God. I'll take a higher position than he's given me. I'll rebel against him. But, says Isaiah, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Because of rebellion against God, of course, came to nothing. So, so we don't hear a lot in the Bible about what that sin consisted of, but we see that there's something having to do with sin and something having to do with not staying with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. And something probably having to do with saying, I will make myself like the Most High, uh, in a wrongful sense, uh, usurping the authority that God had that God had for himself. Now, there's one other passage that sometimes people look at. I don't think it talks about the sin of uh, angels becoming demons. I don't think so, but um, I'll just look at it for a minute. What about the sons of God in Genesis 6-2? This is an unusual passage. Well, Genesis 6, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and sons and, and daughter, on, on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, <clears throat> My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, what's that? Some translations, giants. And the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, gigantes, giants. So at least there's some, there's some justification for taking this as giants. And in Numbers 33, the word again appears. Uh, but, but Old Testament scholars are uncertain enough about the meaning of this that a number of translations just take the Hebrew word Nephilim and they translate it Nephilim. <laughs> It means, we don't know what it means, <laughs> but it may mean very large human beings. Well, anyway, the Nephilim were in the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now people have said, does this mean angels? Sons of God came into the daughters of man, married human women, and they bore children to them. <clears throat> and some commentators do think that that is the interpretation um, and there's some Jewish literature outside the Old Testament that takes that as the interpretation. But I once spent a number of days in a research library in England looking at all the Jewish literature I could find outside the Old Testament, just for curiosity to see what later Jewish interpreters thought about the meaning of this passage. And I found in these are like, um, you get writings like the, the Mishnah and the Talmud and the Hebrew Midrash, Midrashim, the commentaries. You get Josephus and Philo and other apocryphal and pseudepigraphal works. All this, I traced all that, all the references to Genesis 6 that I could find. I found 18 different places in this ancient Jewish literature where they were giving their understanding of what is meant here. 18. Nine of those places thought they were angels, and nine thought they were human beings. And the Jewish interpreter Philo 
in one place thought they were angels, and another place thought they were human beings. He forgot what he wrote earlier. So there's no conclusive. And of course, that doesn't mean that they were right anyway, because they could make mistakes, these later Jewish interpreters. But it just means that it really wasn't clear to them from the text. I don't think that these are angels marrying human beings because, well, for one thing, I learned from the New Testament that, uh, well, I learned elsewhere too, but in the New Testament, angels are non-material and they do not marry, Matthew 22, 30, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, this is people, but are like angels in heaven, and so I think that implies that angels don't marry, and uh, I think the fact that they're non-material means that they couldn't marry uh, human beings. And so that casts doubt on the idea that the sons of God are angels who married human wives. It's far more likely, I think, that sons of God refers to people belonging to God and like God that were walking in righteousness. And so basically, I think the passage means believers, believing men, were marrying unbelieving women and having children by them. In addition, nothing in the context of Genesis 6 suggests that angels are in view. That is, the, words, the phrase sons of God can mean angels sometimes. Uh, I talked about that last week a little bit. But sons of God can also mean human beings who are living uh, according to God's will. And I think that's the meaning here. There's nothing that is, suggests angels in the context. In fact, the earlier context is tracing what happened. After Adam fell, okay, Adam and Eve sinned. And then they had children, Cain and Abel. But Cain killed Abel. So then the only child they have left is Cain, who's, who's sinful, who's evil. But then uh, it says that uh, Adam bore another son in his image, um, and that, or, or Adam and Eve had another son. Let's see, Genesis 4:25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. And then to Seth, also a son of son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So I think what's happening is God is saying, now here's the history of the human race. You have Cain, and those people became sinful, and they followed after Cain, but then God gave Adam and Eve another child, Seth, and Seth had a son in his image, and then people began to call on the name of the Lord. So it's tracing two lines, the godly line and the sinful line of human beings. And in that uh, context, then, then you have the story of uh, descendants of Adam, and then you get corruption on the earth, and then you get this story, which I think means then the sons of God, believers, came to the daughters of men, unbelievers, and had children by them. But I admit it's an unusual passage, and I don't have a high degree of confidence that my view has to be the correct one. I'm just giving you my understanding. So the, so the sum of that is to say, I don't think that verse has to do with the sin of angels. If you want to read more about that, I have a little commentary on 1 Peter, and I wrote a longer. That's neither here nor there. We can read it. Satan as the head of the demons. All right, we have a group of angels who sinned against God and fell. The head of them uh, is called Satan. It's the personal name of the head of the demons, God's enemy. Now, Job 6, Job 1, 6. There was a day when the sons of God, and here's heavenly beings and angels and, uh, and others, came to present themselves, or maybe just angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, the Hebrew word Satan means adversary, one who opposes, one who fights against. And, and then in the Hebrew Bible, then it was, there, there was a Greek translation called the Septuagint, 
And that Greek translation used by Jewish people translated Satan as diabolos, which means a slanderer, one who slanders. Now, this word diabolos, does that look, does that sound like diabolos? Does that sound like any English word? Diabolical, yes, for sure. But then, if you if you if you take the first two vowel sounds, dia, and just make it de, debolos, and then you, the b can go to a v sound very easily as language evolves. Devil, okay. So that's where the word devil comes from in English. And that word in the New Testament then is just diabolos is translated as devil, but it's a word that means slanderer. Ever been slandered by someone? Have you ever noticed that people who do the work of the Lord tend to be slandered by people? Have you ever, is that ever, has that ever happened? People who try to do God's work and then you all of a sudden find some friend is lying about you or accusing you falsely of things? I don't know if that's happened. Yes, <laughs> it happened. Where did that come from? Just like this rebellion against authority, I think it's from the enemy. So the enemy is a liar and a slanderer. And if he's the adversary, he also opposes the work of the Lord. If we do the work of the Lord, I think we can expect opposition. And I think we can expect that maybe from time to time people will slander us and lie about us and say false things about us or our church because the enemy is out there working. So, <clears throat> so Satan, the head of the demons. And First Chronicles 21.1, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So Satan is the name that's coming up a few times in the Old Testament. Uh, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So Satan, is, he's a slanderer, he's an accuser, accuser of the brethren, yeah, trying to uh, attack God's people with false accusation, false guilt, trying to dump on you. And I think sometimes in our own life, we know we're forgiven, kind of we know that intellectually, but, but the enemy can come and, and start accusing us and making us feel guilty for... Stuff that's been forgiven, it's all past, it's all long ago, and just weigh us down and try to hinder us in our Christian life. So standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Luke 10, 18, we get the same word used again. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So, so the New Jesus and the New Testament authors are taking over this word Satan from the Old Testament and just using it as a name for the head of demons. And there are, But then there are other names for Satan. In the New Testament, uh, <clears throat> we get the name devil, which is this word diabolos in Greek. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, Matthew 4.1, or Matthew 13.39, the enemy who sold them is the devil, Matthew 25.41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So there are a number of cases where the word devil is used as a different name for Satan. Or Revelation 12:9, and the great dragon was thrown down. The great dragon, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. They're both words that are used. The deceiver of the whole world. So we're getting these names give more and more idea 
of the activity of Satan. He accuses, he opposes, he slanders, he deceives. Revelation 20, verse 2, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So, <clears throat> so there's another name, the devil. And then <clears throat> the name, the serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So it's called the serpent here. And then in 2 Corinthians 11:3, I'm afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And in Revelation 12:9, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan. So here all three names are in the same verse the deceiver of the whole world. And Revelation 20, verse 2, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. So there's another word. There's another name that he's used. It's called uh, Beelzebul, <clears throat> which is in, it's a Semitic uh, name meaning Lord of Flies, Lord of the Flies. Um, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Matthew 10:25, Matthew 12:24. By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, this man casts out demons. This is... The Pharisees accusing Jesus, and same in, in Luke 11:15, Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Another name used for Satan is the ruler of this world. John 12:31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? Why? Why? Why is Satan called the ruler of this world? Isn't God the ruler of the world? Isn't? Doesn't Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I think <clears throat> what is going on here is sometimes in the New Testament, the phrase this world is used to refer to the world system in opposition to God. The whole world that's apart from belief in Christ. Um, it's, 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 it's the world under the bondage of evil and sin and rebellion against God. It's the world in the natural state in which people are, dead in trespasses and sins. And so in that sense, Satan is called the ruler of this world. That is, all of the people and systems and powers that aren't submitted to the lordship of Christ, they're ultimately influenced by the one who is trying to manipulate and use them, the ruler of this world. Now, now unbelievers aren't as evil as they could absolutely be if, if Satan completely controlled them because there's another, there's a restraining work of the Holy Spirit in the world convicting people of sin. There's a restraining work of God through human conscience and through human government. Some other things that work to restrain evil, but still there's a sense in which the New Testament looks at the world as under the power of Satan in general, the ruler of this world. So John 14, 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Or John 16, 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So um, another title. And then another title, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Ephesians 2, 2 in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So there's kind of a sense that there's a spiritual influence that's unseen, but it's out there, and Satan is the prince of it, ruling over the spiritual evil that is in opposition to God. 
All right, those are several names. Now, what, do, what does Satan do and what do demons do? <clears throat> well, first, Satan was the originator of sin. And I'm going to read this Genesis 3 passage at a little more length. So Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, he's distorting God's words because God didn't say that. But... He's a liar from the beginning. And, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Well, that's a little exaggeration, but probably all right that they didn't touch it. Uh, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So God said, when you eat it, you will die. Satan said, you will not die. Direct contradiction. He's lying. Giving himself as an expert. Talking with assurance. Purporting to know something about God and what God will do. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's accusing God of uh, kind of wrong motives here. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. So there's sin, but Satan was evil before Eve sinned and before Adam sinned. So Satan was the originator of sin in the world. And Paul picks up on this. I read this verse, 2 Corinthians 11:3. the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. And then John 8, 44, Jesus says more about the nature of Satan's activity. You are of your father, the devil, he says to these Jewish leaders who are opposing him, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How do you know when Satan is at work? Well, one of the things that he's trying to do is murder is destroy people. And when people come into bondage to occult practices or false religions that tie them more and more into bondage, one of the things that happens is the results are more and more destructive in their lives. And you hear stories maybe of people who start to hear voices telling them to kill themselves. Well, yeah. Satan wants to destroy every single one of us wants to destroy our lives, wants to murder us. He delights in the destruction of everything that God created good and destruction particularly of human beings as we are the pinnacle of God's creation. So he's a murderer and then he's a liar. He just lies, 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 lies. And, and what happens when you get people opposing what God is doing in the world, opposing the work of the gospel, they'll lie. They'll just outright lie. And lying is a characteristic of the enemy. Just, a, just, just, just as he said, you will not die. Probably with a great degree of confidence, just stating something completely opposite to the truth. And again, that's, that's, a, that's a work of Satan. All right, 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning, from the beginning of, of the, you know, the book of Genesis, I think. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. So, so God is trying to work in the world, or is working in the world, to bring truthfulness and bring life and protection of life. 
So demons then, according to the character of Satan and demons, they oppose and try to destroy every work of God. Genesis 3, 1 to 6, we talked about that, where Satan empted Eve. 1 John 3, 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So here, the very first murder in the Bible, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain, Cain and Abel, but Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. Why? Because that's what Satan tries to do, to get into people's hearts, to cause them to harm and destroy and ultimately to murder other human beings. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What was the devil going to do? Trying to get Jesus to turn aside from obedience to God. He was tempting him in various ways to disobey. What happens when people come under demonic influence? Well, there are verses that talk specifically about what happens with false religions, even in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't mention demons very often, but where it does, the results are harmful. And actually, I think that in the nation surrounding Israel, the people worshiping Baal or the Asherah or Asheroth um, and um, other, other gods in, in the ancient world, uh, these weren't just myth or superstition. I think there was, there was demonic power in them. And in fact, you see that when you see when people gave in to this Baal worship or false god worship, what happened? Psalm 106, 37, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. There was this teaching that if you wanted to appease the angry God, you just had to take your little baby boy or girl and put it in the fire till it would burn to death. Just the, the culmination of evil and murder trying to destroy human beings, precious little children made in the image of God. And here when the people were led astray into false religion, they sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. Um, that's consistent with what Jesus said in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. Demons will try every tactic to blind people to the gospel. And so when people are considering uh, uh, trusting in Christ or becoming Christians, um, there'll be resistance. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, Paul's talking about people who resisted the gospel, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Or demons will try to keep people in bondage to things that hinder them from coming to know God. Galatians 4, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved. Oh, this I, I think I made that slide too. Well, anyway, I won't make it so high next time. Um, it says you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And so there's a, there's a bondage, whether it's, to, whether it's to wealth and pleasure, whether it's to pride, whether it's to um, alcoholism or, or pornography or uh, fame or um, um, uh, many, many other things. People get enslaved to things that hinder them from coming to know God. So putting all these things together, I think we'll say not only to keep people from the gospel, but for you in your life, for me in my life, demons will use various tactics to hinder a Christian's witness and usefulness for God's kingdom, including, and I maybe could expand this list, but temptation of various sorts, making sin look attractive. 
making sin look as though it's going to bring benefit to us. Temptation. Doubt. Guilt, false guilt. Fear. Confusion. Sickness. Envy. Pride. Slander. Greed. I suppose we could say all the things that are <clears throat> contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. The opposites. Demons will try to use those things and to hinder. And sometimes, you know, you just get even... It's it's uh, it's just kind of obvious, and, and you, you're kind of surprised by. It. When I was putting together this book, Systematic Theology, I was putting the, I was getting the chapters done, and I was sending them on these uh, floppy disks over to England, where it was being edited. And um, when the manuscript came back, chapter 20 was missing. <clears throat> it didn't come through as an electronic file. The chapter on Satan and demons. It was the only one that didn't come through. I said, oh, wait, there's a chapter missing. Really? We never got it. <laughs> well, I said it. I mean, you get those funny little things. And, uh, and yesterday afternoon, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get this lesson ready, and this fax comes in. And I don't know where it's from. It's probably some ad that I don't want or something. And the fax machine breaks and keeps beeping because it can't print out the message. And so I'm trying to fiddle with the fax machine. I don't know. And I just thought, oh, isn't this typical? Um, where uh, stuff just, you, you find these little, and and uh, and honestly, um, I, during the last three or four days, I just felt more discouragement with my work than I felt for a long time. This um, editing work on this study Bible, I keep, I'm not up to schedule, and I don't know how to get up to schedule, and I, but I think, you know, I hope we'll get some solution here, but, but I, but I, but I think that, that, Part of that was, here I'm going to teach on this subject on Sunday, and the enemy just kind of tried to attack me and discourage me, and that's why I appreciate Patrice's song this morning about uh, trials and trusting in the Lord. So so Satan, he's he just, he's crafty. Yet, we don't want to overemphasize that because he's not the most powerful person in the universe by any means. And so we shouldn't become overly fascinated or become overly worried because demons are limited by God's control. And they have limited power. And Job, we see in Job, we get a picture, uh, an insight into what's going on in the heavenly realm here. There's this interaction between the Lord and Satan. And, <clears throat> and, and Satan was accusing uh, Job and accusing God indirectly. And, and, and the Lord gave Satan some ability to afflict Job, but says... Uh, all he has is in your hand, and of course then murder and destruction resulted. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So, so there was protection. And then later the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So there was a restriction, otherwise Satan would have taken his life. So God restrained him for his own purposes. And um, Jude 1.6 says, The angels who didn't stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. That is, there are, demons do not have <clears throat> unlimited influence in the world. God has allowed them to have influence for, in God's wisdom. He hasn't taken all sin and all evil, and he hasn't taken all demons out of the world yet. He's allowed them to have some influence, but it's limited. It's limited by God's power, and these chains speak of some limitation. And James 4, 7 says, and this is a wonderful verse to memorize, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. 
but we shouldn't ever get to the point where we so glorify Satan and demons, we think we can't do anything. They're just going to destroy our work. That would be lack of faith in God. I don't think we want to go there. Uh, God's power is stronger. So I want to say, yes, there's demonic power in the world, and it's real, and we should be aware of it, but, but God's power is stronger. And here's one limitation. We should not think that demons can know the future or that they can read our minds or know our thoughts because the Bible emphasizes again and again that God alone knows the future. And the gods of the, of the, of the pagans outside of Israel, they couldn't predict the future. So Isaiah 46, 9 to 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So again and again in these chapters in Isaiah 40 to, 40 to 66, there's a lot of emphasis on God alone knowing the future. That's why these predictions like Gene Dixon and all these people, these, these uh, palm readers and psychics and things, they try to predict the future. They are abysmal failures. I mean, if you make enough guesses, somebody, you know, anybody can get some things right. Um, but, uh, but mostly they are abysmal failures because, um, because God alone knows the future and it's in his hand. Never does the New Testament say anything like this about demons. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? I don't think Satan knows our thoughts. Um, or Matthew 20, 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts. Um, I'm going to skip over that. And Daniel said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. Is, Tell me what I dreamed. <laughs> and these, these demonically inspired false magicians, they, they, they said, nobody can do that. And Daniel said, right, nobody can do this, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he can tell you. And he told me what your dream was. So don't ever think that demons are reading your thoughts. I don't think they are. However, demons can observe what goes on in the world and can probably draw some conclusions from these observations. Um, you know, if you, I hope you never do, but if you go into a fortune teller and you're dressed in expensive clothes and the fortune teller says, I perceive you're quite a person of means and wealth. Well, okay, maybe just observation. And you had blueberry jam and a slice of ham on toast with cranberry juice this morning for breakfast. Whoa, well, how'd they know that? Well, there's some demon watching me eat breakfast. So big deal. You see, that demons can observe what goes on in the world, and that gives some credibility to these fortune tellers, I think, but, um, but I don't think we should think they can read our minds. I don't think they can. Oh, well, we're, um, we're going to probably be weeks on this <laughs> because I was going to get to this point. Oh, I was going to get to... I was going to get to here today. <clears throat> this is this. We got two minutes left. Uh, why don't we stand and sing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come and you have triumphed over the enemy. You came, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you've disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in the cross. We give you praise and thanks. And Lord, this week, we ask that through the knowledge of this evil uh, empire, that uh, this evil force of darkness that uh, in the spiritual realm seeks to harm us, we ask that you would drive us to our knees, to drive us to greater trust in you, to help us to, to glorify you, pray more actively to you, 
and trust you that you would give us victory over every temptation and every attack of the enemy. We give you praise and glory. Amen. See you next week, 940.